Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 120. This episode is with Maximilian Lankheit, the strength and conditioning coach at VFL Osnabrück. Um, they're in the Bundesliga 2 over in Germany. So Max came on to discuss a number of things, but a lot of it was based around leadership. So we talked about the importance of leadership and how to become an effective leader. We spoke about creating and building an effective multidisciplinary team. We spoke about how effective multidisciplinary teams solve problems. And then we also spoke about the importance of team dynamics as well. So I think this is a really, really interesting discussion. One that we have possibly covered some of the topics before in previous episodes, but I don't think we've gone into depth like we did on this episode. So I hope you take plenty away from it. And also don't be put off by the fact that if you are in a role where you're not necessarily leading any staff members or anything like that, the the whole point of leadership is that we um, it starts with ourselves and sort of Max breaks it down really nicely and relates it to everyone. So um, I hope you enjoy the episode with Max. I really enjoyed speaking to him and I, I, gen, I do feel that we could have gone on for ages on this topic as well. So it was great to have him on and big thank you for him uh, giving up his time as well. Um, like we said, when we reached out a few weeks ago about some potential guests, a lot of people said about getting some input from coaches around some different leagues in Europe. So I like to think we've done that recently with the likes of um, Jermaine McCubbin and um, Andrea Riboli and now Maximilian as well. So I really appreciate him coming on and and giving his experiences and his um, knowledge around leadership. So I hope you enjoy this episode and please, as always, share it. And if you're not already done so, head over to iTunes and leave us a review. Here's episode 120 with Max Lankite. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 120. I'm delighted to be joined today by strength and conditioning coach at VFL Osnabrück, Maximilian Lankheit. Have I got your name right to start with? Yeah, even more important, you got the name of the club right, which is even more astonishing. So well See, done. GCSE German just came into play there. <laughs> yeah, the high school years <laughs> finally paid off. Exactly. But yeah. in all seriousness, in all seriousness even Max thank you very much for giving up your time mate and coming on the podcast I really appreciate you coming on thank you for the invitation really appreciate it we've got um we've had a few discussions and we've had a few discussions before we started recording there on a few different things but I like to think we've got a bit of a a different topic today that we're going to cover um one that I think well a few topics that I think a lot of people are going to take a lot from um but before we do that Let's go into you, mate. What's your what's your background, previous clubs? Take us through the journey. Yeah, this will take a, a half an hour. No, I'm kidding. Um, so, um, yeah, I think I have a little bit of a different journey than maybe the, the usual or token SNC coach um, or performance um, staff member. So I actually had my first degree in acting, oh. um, which was very interesting. Exactly. And I can only first actor on the podcast. Sorry? First actor on the podcast. Well, there you go. See, there's always a first time for anything, buddy. <laughs> um, so I studied that. I actually have the bachelor, so I finished it even. 
um, which helped me a lot um, in regards of learning about myself, right? And how I, I communicate and how I behave and how I'm perceived as a person and how I maybe can manipulate myself um, to then express certain things that I want to be expressed. Then after that, I actually um, studied um, coaching, but to be precise, actually acting coaching. So I have a bachelor there as well, which was also quite interesting because it gave me the ability or I think what I took away from it was that, um, that um, I can deal with big egos, which obviously is mainly like 90% of my day now as well, dealing with big egos and trying to, you know, minimize my, um, my part and my, um, you know, scheme, what I have to say and whatnot. So I have no problem with keeping other people or giving other people the stage. And um, then actually after that, I just um, got my master's then in, um, in high performance sport from the university um, in, in Australia, which is the ACU in Melbourne and in Sydney. Exactly. Um, then um, I opened up my, my own um, sports performance facility, whatever, in Hamburg in 2011, together with a partner. It still exists. Um, however, I, um, I, I sold my shares, um, my 50% um, a couple of years ago. So it still runs, still uh, run very well, even through the COVID times, as far as I'm aware. Um, but that's where I first got into, you know, coaching um, athletes or coaching to besides, um, you know, a soccer club. In that case, it was FC St. Pauli, also a famous club in, in Hamburg, right? Coached their academy then um in our facility but then they asked me to join their their staff and it was cool because my staff in my facility you know I think they were quite happy that they didn't have to see me all day so I went on and and did that um from there um I got the offer to join Exos in Switzerland and then um also a little bit um down the line um at the Adidas headquarters um close to Nuremberg which is also then obviously where the um, head coach back then of FC Nuremberg, um, um, he got attention um, from, from what I was doing there. He invited me, um, we got to talk and then that's how I ended with FC Nuremberg. Um, that was three, no, I think, yeah, four years ago now. Um, and then after that, I had the chance to like just uh, one and a half years later, I got the chance to, to move over to the US and join the San Francisco Giants in Major League Baseball um, as their um, rehabilitation coordinator. Did this uh, for a season, which was an amazing um, experience as well, completely different obviously to anything that I experienced before. It, it taught me a lot, but we can talk about that later, obviously. And then um, from there, I moved to the Sounders um, and yeah, Two years later, now I'm back in Germany um, and working for a second Bundesliga club and overseeing the um, strength conditioning and performance side of, of the club. Yeah, that's about it, I guess. There's a lot of areas to delve into, but we've got to start, I think, from, from actor to high performance. So I think that's really fascinating because we talk a lot before about... Um, like working, we're working with people, aren't we? Everyone's working with people and knowing how to, like you said, manage egos, talk to people, get your point across. So obviously with acting, surely that's going to be the majority of what you're doing. So what were some big 
I suppose what were some big sort of takeaways for you that you transfer into your job now? But also, if you were speaking to like other coaches, maybe coaches that aren't so outgoing or that struggle with yeah. maybe confidence or getting a point across, what, what would be some advice you'd give to them? Well, it's always tough to give people advice that you don't know, but um, so I can only speak for myself. And like I said, I think I was, a, I was, and maybe I still am to some certain extent and now, but I, I definitely was quite of a rebel um, when I started studying acting. Um, and I didn't mean that, or I don't mean it in a good way in that case, because I was always trying to push things away from my responsibility, going like, oh no, I didn't do that because, or I wasn't able to do that um, because these, these circumstances were around or this guy um, didn't give me whatever, right? So, and in acting school, one of the things that you learn is or what people always say, and I think it's true, is like the first year, they break you. So you have no other choice than taking responsibility for anything you do. And you really get to know yourself and you really kind of like, they break down your personality. And then after that very first breakdown, they build it up bit by bit by bit, right? Um, so, and I think that is something that was very, very, very useful to me personally, um, because now the big thing for me is always taking responsibility for anything I do, right? So I would say like from the, from the young Max to the now, you know, rather gray haired um, man that I am, um, I think I made a 180 degree turn. Um, from being the kid who never wanted to take any responsibility to the person who, like, if there's anything happening, I'm going to like, yeah, that's on me. I'm sorry. Yeah, mm. I fucked up. Mm. Um, and I think that is something that I think is very valuable, especially in, uh, in a world like ours, where there's a lot of focus on, on trust. And can I trust the person in front of me? Um, because people always know that, yeah, if I fucked up, I'm the first person to say that I did it. Um, so, and I think that is important because it builds that, that connection and that, that ground that you have to have in order to be successful. Mm. Just with that though, as well, that's a hard thing for young coaches to grasp, isn't it? Because a young coach going into like the first role to suddenly turn around and go, yeah, I, I fucked up. Like it's a very tough thing to do, isn't it? So do you think that has to, that has to come with experience or do you think that maybe these are some things that we need to pass on to the younger coaches? I, I guess there's some um, there's some truth to that. I guess because when you're coming out from from you know university or whatever, and and you're trying to show everybody that you earned your spot here because it's such a competitive um, you know field that we're working in. So I can see that absolutely, um, and maybe you're right that you do have to actually have to have the confidence that nobody's perfect mm -hmm. right and that you have the confidence that you can tell that you are not perfect either um and and i do believe and you know i'm still making the mistakes once in a while as well kind of like oh i wanted to do this and i wanted to show them that this is, was a brilliant idea which it clearly wasn't mm -hmm. but and then going like mm, you know then you come to the to the senses afterwards and you're like yeah maybe it wasn't that such of a good idea but um so i think yeah you're right i think you have to have you know experienced certain situations in order to have the confidence to take the responsibility. 
Um, but it's rather sooner than later, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. And players actually do appreciate it too. Yeah. Um, even if you want. No, I agree with that. Definitely. But it, I think it is a hard thing to do at the same time, isn't it? Um, the other thing, Max, that stood out for me was the shift from football to baseball, which obviously is a, a very, very different sport. And then back to football again. So just talk through how that came about to start with, but then also like lessons that you've taken that you can put into you back into working with footballers. Yeah. I mean, clearly um, that's a huge difference. Like it couldn't be any more different um, than those two sports, I guess. Um, but uh, maybe cricket, I don't know. Mm. Um, but, but I think that's why I actually also wanted to do it. When I, when I got the, the offer, the opportunity, um, I was like, I have to do it because it's so different that I want to see if what like my principles, um, do they actually apply in a complete different environment and context, right? Because not only is it different from the perspective of what's happening on the field or the pitch, right? It's also completely different from the people you work with, right? Um, because baseball per se, and every American, I hope, can, um, can testify for that, is, is it's so traditional, which is beautiful in a certain way, but also there's a reason, you know, why there's not that many people potentially watching it, mm -hmm. like live. Maybe it's a great sport to watch or have on the television in the background, um, because when the um, announcer yells, that's when you have to watch, you know. So, but the point is like maybe... 50, 60 minutes, nothing is happening. So this was very interesting and very intriguing to me. And then I wanted to see, okay, how do they actually train? So um, the, the interesting part is because it's so traditional, there's like breaking up those traditions, even in training um, was very interesting. Um, and in my case, obviously it was that I was more focused on the rehabilitation. So, um, the, the interesting part here is they're not in team training, which means that you can actually do more with them that they're not used to because they're open more to it because they're not part of, um, you know, what's actually happening. They're not traveling because the other thing is with baseball, obviously you have 160 games, right? If you make the world series, you have over 200 in a short wow. time span, which means like in half a year, um, kind of like if you look from that perspective. So with all the preseason games and so on, spring training. So you can work completely different with those guys than you can work with the guys that are actually on the roster, the 40-man roster in for the MLB squad, for example, right? So that is part of the challenge as well. So how do you train people when they have a game every single day and have to potentially travel, in our case, from San Francisco, which is completely at the West Coast, right, to, let's say, uh, New York playing in the Yankees? And then they have to train uh, and then they have to play on the very same day. So, but they still need to train at some stage. So how do you deal with that? Um, that was very interesting to me and, and very unique for baseball um, itself, right? But the biggest um, takeaway from me was essentially that uh, how to systematize things on a big scale. Because um, for example, the San Francisco Giants, they have seven teams, including the major league team, right? And they're, they're spread out across the country and they play their own unique leagues. 
right? But then you have to obviously systematize certain things as the strength conditioning training or as a rehabilitation or um, certain aspects of their performance, right? So how do you do that if you have in total over 200 athletes plus, you know, seven um, to eight strength coaches plus, um, you know, um, for each of the squad, two physios, one athletic trainer, and so on and so forth. So the whole bulk of communicating certain um, things and certain um, systems becomes so important and there can't be any, um, you know, miscommunication because otherwise the whole thing is, pardon my French, fucked up, mm. right? So that was something I really learned there. And um, yeah, the, the, the ease of work as well. Like it's a very, it's a very different crowd um, to, to what maybe we experience in, in professional football. So I think that was something I really, really appreciated and I really took away from. How do you actually manage processes across such a huge um, amount of people across a huge country and actually still try to be you know, successful and increase performance bit by bit? Mm, yeah, there's certainly a lot of lessons. What's that? Sorry. I said it's a long answer to your short question. No, no, it's, it's great because I think it's, it's very um, relatable because even though we might not be speaking to coaches that are working in such a big scale, this, the, the systems, and I know it might be something we touch on in a little bit, but systems are definitely something that we have at different scales, aren't they? Like whether it's a smaller scale or a bigger scale. Um, yeah, it's, it, I think it's very interesting. The other thing I was going to say is that someone going into a sport, and I spoke to Mike Boyle about this, I think the first time I spoke to him, getting someone's eyes on a sport and the way that um, teams prepare that aren't necessarily traditionally from that sport, I think is a really important thing, isn't it? Because then you start to question things that generally can just be stuck in a bit of tradition. And you, if we yeah. have an answer to why do we do this, why do we do that, then that's fine. But I don't know, in football, this is still the case on certain things. Like there's certain things that we do where we probably just do it because we've always done it. Yeah, I, I guess there's some, there's some truth to that. Um, but I wouldn't say it's just football related. I think it's just, it's just what we are as humans. Mm. You know, we tend, we tend to become lazy because everything that's new, first of all, requires us to be not only, only open-minded, but also potentially having to change. And I think humans per se, and I'm not a psychologist, right? It's just my, um, my um, perception is humans per se don't like change. Mm. If it's not something that has certain, um, you know, bonuses with it, which means, for example, in, in, the, in the context of baseball, the thing for me was a, what, what worked actually for me very well was that I was so different that nobody was scared mm -hmm. of me, right? And that I had the novelty on my end. So I just did things that they've never seen before. Like I'm talking about the athletes, right? So I did stuff and they were like, what is this guy doing? <laughs> like literally, they were just standing around in a, in a bulk and going like, what is this? Why do you do this? And then kind of like, I explained and I, I showed them and I said like, do you feel this and that and that? See, this is what you have to do in, in, in this and these circumstances. So asking questions obviously comes, comes, uh, becomes very important. But I think that worked for me that I was just so different. 
and so novel that they weren't scared. They actually wanted to try it out. Yeah. So yeah. that was that worked in my favor, I guess. And you know what? That crosses over to some conversations that we've had and not probably not so much in terms of like that wow factor, but in the sort of gym culture in football, and I know it's very different club to club, but certain clubs where players might be lifting really heavy, for example, and other players are looking, thinking like, what are they doing? Like, we, we don't train like that. Or doing an exercise that they might not have seen before. Like, the, that can be quite impactful, can't it? And obviously, there has to be some rationale behind it, and we have to be doing it for a reason. But I think it's a really good, good point that being, bringing something different to the table um, can capture that attention, can't it? Yeah, I guess. And I, and I think it's, it's just, if there would have been, like, it would have been just slightly different, I guess, you know, if I would have come from, let's say, cricket, mm. um, you know, they would, and I would have done something different, they, I think they wouldn't have been that kind of like, all right, he plays cricket, he doesn't play baseball, you know, type of. But in that case, it was just completely madness for them. So they yeah. were just intrigued. Um, so, I'm intrigued to know what you were doing to capture this attention. Listen, nothing, nothing groundbreaking, but you know, you just do some some ISO holds on the on the um, GHR or whatnot, and they're going like, you know. Oh, really? Yeah, it's it not like I like I tell you, I did nothing other people wouldn't have also done. Mm. You know, it's just something they've never seen. Wow. You know, or the SNC coaches. You know, and they were fantastic, by the way. I think that was the greatest staff I've ever worked with. Um, but, but it's also kind of like they potentially didn't have, um, you know, the, the guts to do these things as well because they were so caught in their tradition yeah. that they thought, if I try this out, you know, the players will just start laughing at me and don't take me seriously anymore. But since I wasn't kind of like, the um, afraid of that because they didn't know me i didn't know any other way anyway mm. they were like all right so i think it also then which is exactly the reason i guess why i was hired because you know it broke off certain traditions because everybody around me also then did certain things and that's not because of me or because i was better but it's because they now had the confidence to actually go hey we can just do this we don't mm. need to worry about it yeah you know, so, um, yeah, I think that's that's something that it comes also in, uh, into the group dynamic and going like, this is the reason why it makes so much sense potentially to to bring somebody in from a completely different background. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's again. definitely something we'll get to in this, because I want to talk about that importance of the sort of team dynamic and developing that. But the first thing we we're going to start on was um, was around leadership. And I know there might be certain coaches thinking, oh, I don't lead a team. Like, that's not my role. I've got my, my line manager and they'll be the leader. Right. But I yeah. just wanted to get you to talk about the importance of leadership to start with. Yeah, sure. I mean, um, so um, it's, 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 it's one of my passions to um, look into organizational leadership. And, and I'm actually currently doing, doing an MBA to even, um, you know, gain more insights in that, in that aspect. But I think uh, it's important to potentially start with what leadership is, right? And, and leadership has different aspects. It starts with like, there's certain ways to look at it. It's about leading yourself, leading others, leading organizations, right? And leading change. 
these are four, that's, that's the inherent four different um, aspects of leadership. So, and I think we always need to look at those different aspects um, separately to understand what and how leadership works, right? So obviously leading yourself um, starts with the fact of, you know, know thyself, right? Which is obviously for me, like I said earlier, was a great thing to have experienced the acting school, right? Because I actually got to know myself. So now hopefully, and again, I'm making more mistakes than I want to, but um, I'm, I think I have a good understanding of how I work as in how my mental models work, how I look at the world, what my worldview is, how I'm perceived if I do certain things, right? And I think that is, that's where it all starts um, because if I can't lead myself, I cannot lead others. Um, and then obviously the second component is then leading others. So when there has been many, many, you know, leadership theories um, brought up over the course of the years and let's face it, it's still a very, very young, um, um, research topic, and by young, I mean still like 60s, 70s, like 1960, 1970, where like we really delve into or delved into the um, the leadership theories and, and and how to look at leadership and so on. But from the grand scheme of things, it's very young. So you know, you can you can name it. We've got laissez-faire, we've got autocratic, we've got democratic, we've got so many different things, uh, transactional. So you name it, they're always coming more and more and you can always argue like, this is actually more this and that and that whatsoever. But I think the most important thing that we come now to understand is um, that it's actually about situational leadership, right? Um, so you actually look at what the situation is in front of you who are the people involved and what, you know, is it that you want to achieve? So what is the message you want to bring across? And then this is actually kind of like the form of leadership you is most effective. Now that only works though, if you're, if you have like certain characteristics, right? So it's very important to be transparent. It's very important to be honest. And um, it's, it's um, very important to be authentic all the time. Right. And that's why, Jurgen Klopp is so so um, successful because if you if you look at the interviews his players give all the time that's the three things he is all the time yeah. Jurgen Klopp is Jurgen Klopp just in different situations he's authentic when he you know has his facial expressions at the sideline but he's also very authentic when he's you know hugging um, his players and when they're not playing yeah. um, right so the point is because he's authentic, he is who he is, but he is him in different situations. And I think that is, that is something that, that we need to learn. It's not about this leadership style or like autocratic is more effective, right? It's just in this moment in time, as long as you're authentic, you can be autocratic, right? You can tell people what to do if that's necessary in that situation. Is it the best choice? I don't know, but it's your choice and you're convinced. So at least you can portray what you want to achieve um, from an authentic point of view. Mm. Um, yeah, any questions? Sorry, I'm, I'm starting to no, just- No, um, no I've, I've, I think that's, a, it's, it's really, really interesting for me that because it, we've t we talk about toolboxes a lot, don't we? As like yeah. S&C coaches and having certain tools in the toolbox. But in terms of leadership, I think, this is another, it's a whole new toolbox, isn't it? Like, so I have yeah. all these, I have all these tools to sort of bring out at certain times. And I think you're dead, right? I think the Klopp 
example is a really a good one that a lot of people will be able to relate to? Well, I hope. I mean, it, it, and listen, we can always become better leaders. Mm. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a myth that leaders are born, right? It's, it's really a skill or a skill set that you can develop. It just takes work and it just yeah. takes experience and it just takes failure or not, not failure is the wrong word, but it takes, um, you know, mistakes and mistakes and mistakes um, in order to learn from them, obviously. So the reflection part becomes very important. The moment you want um, to become a leader or the, one, the moment you want to aspire to become a leader. Right? And I think that is, that is the main key here. And when, when you say there about becoming a leader, do you think yeah. that that's like a point in time that we will, will like aim to reach? So like now I've become a leader or do you think it's a case that we need to go into whatever situation that we're in and have that in mind that we are leading? We are, whether that's working with a, a, an amateur club on a part-time basis, like we are leading them. There's, there's certain leadership skills we need or whether we're working with a professional Premier League club. I think we all are leaders inherently. The moment you work with another person or you interact with another person to achieve a certain outcome, you know, that's the moment you start leading. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I, when I speak to, to um, our players and we speak about, you know, what, is, what does it mean to be a leader? How can you lead like from within the group? What can you do, you know, to enhance the group's performance? Um, you know, leading starts essentially by taking care of the person to your right and um, taking care of the person to your left. That's essentially what leadership is. Just, you know, you take responsibility of taking care of, of those two people. Because if everybody would do that, guess what? The whole group will be covered. Mm. Um, and there's actually also some research on that. It's, it's called, I can't, I can't recall what the study name was, but and who it, who it um, actually wrote, but it's about the power of triads. So it's kind of like, if you have three people um, in a kind of like triangle um, and you tell people just to always take responsibility of the good of the connection between those other two in the triangle, right? then that's all you need to do. And they actually looked into group dynamics and looked into, okay, how many of those triads do we need? And it doesn't matter how big the group becomes eventually, but you need to have six of those uh, triads. And by the way, you can be in one and then taking care of others as well. But the point is like you need six triads in order to have a stable group. So, and that goes to the point of just take care of two other people. Only two. Mm-hmm. That's all you need to do. With everybody does that, you're good. You know. So um, that's that's a very interesting concept. Um, it's a theory, which they some in some way or the other, you know, kind of like investigated. But it sounds very appealing and very common sensey to me. To be fair. I hope you enjoyed part one of the podcast with Maximilian. Um, I just wanted to give a very quick update on our online community. So for anyone that's not seen, we have an online platform available for all coaches involved in football. We've got 19 webinars on there now and 10 presentations from our networking events, um, all 
available to watch back on demand on the community. So if you go to footballfitfed.com, click the community tab at the top. If you sign up there, make sure you go through the whole pro, uh, the whole sign up process. That will give you one month free on the community. You can check it out. You can see the presentation, see what it's all about. After that, it is only £4.99 per month going forward. And we've just confirmed some really exciting webinars coming up on the community as well. So keep an eye out for those. I'm looking forward to um, getting them onto the community and releasing the information about those. Um, and what we're doing at the moment as well, if you do sign up to the community, we're doing a free giveaway of our Speed Drills of the Professionals ebook. So that's got 25 drills uh, 25 speed drills that you can use with your players so if you do sign up to the community and you register for that free month just drop us an email mail at footballfitfed.com and we will send out a free copy of the speed drills ebook for you as well so go and check it out footballfitfed.com click the community tab and sign up there here's part two of the podcast with max and and does this by and it might not. So if I'm off on this, you can tell me that no, your mouth's off. But when you were talking about systems before um, with baseball, and you were talking about working with all the, the the huge area that you're working with and the huge amount of people, does this tie in with that? Um. Yes, but here the big um, challenge is slash was how do you create a homogenous group, right? Because now not only do they come from different, you know, places around the world, um, but also they have so many different, so in, in that case, they have different backgrounds, right? And so on. But they also, they, they are so unique and baseball is such an individual sport within a team sport, you know, that it's, they have such different um, goals and can still be successful together that mm. it's tough to get them on one page. So I think the first step here is to find out what is the common ground, right? Um, and, and, and that takes the most amount of time and getting them everybody to pull together. You know, a very easy example for that. It sounds very stupid, but it actually, I mean, I believe it helped, right? So for example, and it's what people do in, in football, you know, oftentimes as well. So when we do the warm up, right? You line them up. Um, baseball players are not used to that. So however, you line them up. So you've got like, you know, 20, 30 people in one line and you go like, so now we do some dynamic warm up. I'm being very, you know, uh, I'm trying to simplify it, but let's do the dynamic warm. So you now just start, so there's 10 meters and you just, or yards in that case, and you just try to stay in line with the person next to you. And it's as simple as that, but you, like, we were so bad at the beginning. I'm talking about the rehabilitation group, for example, right? It was just everywhere. It's not because they didn't want to, but they didn't like, they didn't understood why they need to wait for this guy and that and that. And I said like, listen guys, if you can't do this, if you can't do the simple task of just staying next to the person next to you, mm how is the person next to you ever going to trust you that you can fulfill something that actually helps them to achieve something? Mm -hmm. And then we started and I let them start again and I let them start again and I let them start again and again. And at some stage, the good thing is that you see, then you get some group dynamics in there and yeah, people are going yeah. like, guys, you like, you know, 
And that's, that's, that's again, then situational coaching, right? I let the group coach themselves, but what was the intention? I just wanted to get them on the same page in the most simplest, uh, simplest form that I could imagine, which is just staying in one line. Uh, not to say that was the best thing to do, but it's a good example for getting people on the same page or getting, creating some homogenous, um, you know, environment. It's a great visual representation of that group dynamic, isn't it? Because you can see that whether the lines, whether we joined or not. And when you're talking about helping people either side of you as well, that that crosses over so nicely to that in that it does just give that visual, visual representation of that if we do sort this person and this person and the next people sort the next people, then everyone can work together and be effective. Yeah. Exactly. Or it could be obviously the flying V of um, Mighty the Ducks. Mighty Ducks. Awesome. You know, awesome. Depends on what shape you want. Well, how effective was that? <laughs> yeah. We're going to watch it right now. <laughs> it was actually one of my, my one of my films over Christmas, I've got to say. And uh, yeah, yeah, I tried I tried just watching the first one and then went second and third as well. But <laughs> good choice. Yeah. Good choice. Yeah. No. Um, and then the other thing we were going to talk about, and I think this ties really nicely into this, is creating or building a multidisciplinary team. And I suppose starting from scratch where, like, when you've been involved in that, some, some considerations that you've had to make to build, because there's building a team, but then there's building an effective team, probably yeah. two very different things. So where do you see the difference between those two being or the main difference? Well, it's, it's like the, the saying goes, like every, um, every team is a group, but not every group is a team. Um, so I think the, and I would like to look at, okay, what is, the, what is the benchmark? So if I look at the benchmark, then you go like, okay, what is a high performance team? Right? And a high performance team per se uh, consists of, um, different individuals, you know, with a completely complementary skill set that are trying to achieve a common goal, right? So I think that's where the starting point is. It's not that everybody has um, the, 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 is, an, is an expert in the same thing, you know? You can't become a high, a high um, performance team if you have six strength coaches who are all very good at BBT, right? Yeah, maybe one is a amazing expert it but then how does it help him if you don't have filled the other buckets right i think mike boyle always talks about buckets as well mm -hmm. so um and i think that's that's where the diversity component um, comes in and becomes very important um so i think what i'm trying to say is to create a team you have to think of what is the oh let me put it that way so you have a frame a rectangular frame, right? And there's one person like, and the bubble is that big, right? So now how can I, with the people available, fill that frame in the best possible way? Because everything I can fill with that, that's a blind spot. Mm. So now to become this high performance team, I try to get as much of a diverse group cognitively diverse though. So it doesn't matter if you're, you know, from, from Nigeria or if you're from England, mm. you know, that's, that's diversity as well. It's identity diversity, but it doesn't define necessarily if you are a high performance team or if you can perform well together, right? It can be, but most likely 
it's more important that you have a cognitive diverse team. So I think that's the starting point to be open about that, that um, regardless which discipline it is or which um, in our case performance, right, is, is the uh, potential bucket. Okay, let's make sure we have different people in that bucket um, because otherwise we won't be as effective as we want to be or could be. Mm -hmm. um, and then obviously the soft skills come in. Like, you know, you have, to, you have to be able to, what I said earlier, everybody has to trust one another, right? And everybody has to be able to speak openly and um, be transparent about their opinions and what they think of a certain um, issue and so on and so forth. Because I think the biggest issue in general um, that I have experienced or that I see when I, you know, visit other clubs or when I speak to, to um, uh, my colleagues is that um, there's a problem, right? And people try to interpret the problem as, oh, this is a strength conditioning problem, or mm. this is a football problem, or this is a, um, a medical problem, um, and so on and so forth. Instead of going like, no, this is a problem, and we can look at this problem from different angles. Right? The problem doesn't change, but I need to be able to look at it from different angles to come to a conclusion on how to solve that problem in the best possible way. And I think that is, that is then the key. And you can only do this and you can, if you actually then also are open to the other perspective and don't think, no, this is a, this is a strength conditioning problem. You can tell me whatever you want. No, 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 no. He's just not strong enough. Mm. Yeah. Maybe not. Yeah, that, that's, for me, and uh, this is just my opinion, I think that's the main difference between staff or, or groups of staff that are very effective. Um, and I think back to the podcast I did with Callum Walsh, who was at Huddersfield, he spoke about leaving ego out of a room and being able to have these, these discussions and sometimes heated discussions. But they, heated, they get heated because people are passionate and they're trying to get to the same common goal, aren't they? We're trying to problem solve. Yeah. We're trying to solve whatever problem it, it has propped up, haven't we? But I was going to ask as well, were you talking before about skill sets? You were saying about um, yeah. practitioners having different skill sets, which I, I fully agree with. But alongside that, so if you've got people that are qualified, not, not even necessarily qualified, but um, higher skilled in certain areas, there has to be some sort of commonality that runs through staff members yeah. as well doesn't there for that for that cohesion to happen of course it, it, it has to it has to be subject matter expertise right it doesn't it doesn't help you if you have the most diverse team and i have whatever uh, geologist in my performance staff who needs to you know who's going to be part of the process of improving the speed of a player i mean maybe there's some unique you know um, pov he brings to the table or she but on the other hand um, this is not what I'm saying, obviously, but the point is there still has to be some, like you said, common ground or some expert matter expertise that actually ties into that um, overarching problem that we need to solve, right? Um, so I think that is, that is important. Just pure diversity per se does not necessarily lead to better decisions. Mm. Um, that, that, that is true. Right, so um, you have to you have to be more uh, precise. So I apologize. I didn't mean to um, say so like every every diverse group is um, 
immediately more effective. No, it depends. No, no, no. Yeah. I, I, I didn't take it as that at all. What I'm, what I'm also trying to say is that like, there's, there's personality traits, isn't there, that will run, whether that is like a, a respect for someone else's work. So if, if you take yeah. an S&C coach and a physio and a technical coach and a scouting team or, or whatever, there has to be like a respect between them, doesn't it? That that's how we're going to work together and we're going to problem solve. Um, but there'll be other sort of personality traits that people of different skill sets will hold, which means that they're, they're ineffective as a team as a whole. I, I agree. I mean, and, and again, I, I hate to bring up the same example, but I think that is why Jurgen Klopp is so successful as well. Because he just brings in, and he, and he says that, right? I just bring in the best people and I just let them do their work. Yeah. Right? Because I know that they're, you know, the experts with this. They're the experts with that, you know? And I'm just trying to, you know, make sure that the communication is right between them. I make sure that everybody feels welcome. I make sure that, you know, everybody, you know, feels that they have an impact on the overall, you know, objective of the club, whatever that may be, right? Mm -hmm. So I think, I think that, is, that is very important. This is then essentially of the, the high leader. What is the vision? And um, how can I ensure that not only the environment is set up to help create that or, or help um, everybody to be on the path of that vision, you know, so they feel welcome, they feel good, they feel trusted, um, they have the feeling that the structure, there's structure and clarity in place and these types of things, but also then kind of like making sure that um, these experts actually do what they can do best, be mm. experts in their field and have a voice to say that and share it. Yeah, because I'm sure you might have been in, and you don't have to name the situations or the staff or anything, but I'm sure you've been in positions where you've had environments that you can thrive in, but you've also had environments where you feel probably a little bit restricted on what you can and can't do as well and how effective you can be. And obviously I don't expect any examples, but I think that's important, isn't it, to understand that there's, there's different situations that you can find yourself in. Oh, absolutely. And I think it's important to have experienced both. Yeah. Right. Um, because it gives you the context that you need. Because mm -hmm. only if you know how you do not want to have it, you know what you want to have. Yeah. Right. And I think that that's why, even if, you know, for the listeners or, or, or viewers that are watching this, like, even if you're in the worst environment, you know, as long as you have the feeling you can take something away from this and you, it's a learning opportunity for you in which way ever, you know, it's not a waste of time. Mm. It is not a waste of time. We try to tell um, ourselves that it is, but on the other hand, I think it's only a waste of time if you think I've taken all out, I've taken everything out of the situation. Now I don't need to do it anymore. Mm. But I think that is the important part. And that's why, like you said, you know, I've been in environments where I thought like, oh, oh gosh, that is, the, that is not where I want to be. But then this is where the reflection part comes in. But then you sit back and maybe talk to other people or reflect and, you know, in your own four walls, whatever. But then you're like, okay, now I just focus on this one very aspect because this is something where I think I can still learn something. Mm. Um, and I think then you're also immediately more content or more happy, if you will, because you still feel you know, that there is something for you here. 
um, uh, so that worked for me in the past. Not to say that I don't uh, that I'm not in situations. I haven't been in situations where I wasn't able to, you know, have this bird's um, eye view on it. Um, but I think that also just comes with with experience um, because situations tend to repeat themselves, right? Yeah. And then you go like, ah, I've seen that before somewhere else. So, okay, no, I'm not worried too much, right? Yeah. So. And that, that experience gives you that power going into future roles as well, doesn't it? Because I'm sure you and, and a lot of the people listening can relate to a time where they were like, well, I don't really want to experience that again. So when I look for a new role, that'll be something that, I'll potentially be discussing going into it. Like, can I do X, Y, and Z? Like, do I have the flexibility to do this or do I not? It gives you that power, doesn't it, going forward? Absolutely. And look, like, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm making mistakes every single day. You know, some are, you know, I don't even, I'm not even aware of, mm. uh, which are the worst. But um, I think that's, that's just part of, you know, if you will, growing up. Um, it's, and that's why I think it's also important that you make your, your steps deliberately in, in, you know, enhancing in this career, because, and I'm pretty sure a lot of, a lot of your, um, your guests before said that as well, because the higher you go, the less of a margin there is. Yeah. And there's lots of, lots of pressure, the higher you get. Mm. Right. So, um, and you don't want to make the same mistake with a, you know, 40 million player that you potentially did with an academy kid who's yeah. 16. You know, yeah. I, I cannot tell you how many like stupid mistakes, like literally very stupid mistakes out of ego, out of because I thought I knew it better, whatever it is I made like at the beginning of my career. And, and again, I'm still making those. They're just getting less and less. Yeah. But um, and they're maybe not as as um, tragic, whatever, um, as they could be. But but the point is, like, you need to make those mistakes or you need to have somebody you can then talk to about it and their experiences. So a mentor or whatever that you can actually go through that uh, or, uh, guide through that ranges of or, or steps of your career. Mm. I think there's nothing wrong about bit by bit by bit, as long as you know where you want to um, end up. And just on that, just before we go into some uh, quick fire questions, I wanted to throw this at you because I'm intrigued about this. So you said about your career so far, you went into baseball because you wanted to test your principles. So is there anything now looking forward on the next few years of your career that you're thinking that, that you want to do or that you need to do as a practitioner to take yourself to the next level? Well, yes and no. So um, at the beginning of last year, I was kind of like at the, at the point where I thought like, okay, there's two ways I'm going to go about this now. Am I going to, um, you know, start a PhD or um, am I going to go into the business side of things Mm. Um, to really get into the organizational culture and try, really trying to be a change maker, whatever, from the things I experienced in the past, but then actually, you know, being at the top eventually, um, like of a club, right? Because I think that's where you can really change things and make a difference. Not to say that you can't make a difference from, from the bottom as well, but I think overarching, it's just, um, 
more where you have the ability to. Mm -hmm. So, and then I decided to, okay, no, I'm going to, I'm going to do the hardest thing I can imagine. I'm going to go and, um, you know, do an MBA. So for me now, this is actually where I want to be headed. Um, because it is something where I have, you know, not that much experience, maybe with my own facility, but that's not the same. Yeah. Um, you know, there weren't many fans outside of my doors. Um, <laughs> so, so that's, that's the one thing where I go like, I'm, I'm very, very scared, you know, but scared in a good way, because I think this is going to be the, the, the next frontier for me to be really challenging everything I've learned so far but not so much from the strength conditioning and perspective, but more from, okay, an organizational perspective and leading people and potentially leading change and, and kind of like hopefully changing the industry as a, as a, as a whole, right? Um, and contributing to that aspect, um, you know? So that's, that's kind of like where, where I'm trying to challenge myself now every single day and there's so many smart people in my classes, I will tell you, I'm very intimidated um, by them, you know, and they're oftentimes much younger than I am. Well, that's a good position to be in though, isn't it? Because you have to raise the standard and, and get to the standard of people around you. Yeah, no, true. You don't want to be the smartest person in the room, then you don't learn anything. Yeah. So um, that's, that's my mantra, I guess. No, definitely. Max, we'll go on to some uh, quick fire questions just to, to wrap things up. The pressure's on now. So mm -hmm. the first one, mate, is, is who are some of the biggest influences on your career so far? Um, too many to name, but um, I think the biggest influences for me are um, uh, David Joyce, Darcy Norman, um, Dave Tenney, and I also would name uh, Martin Bushite in that in, uh, in under the, those names. I think they're the biggest ones. Oh no, I need to also say Mark Verstegen and uh, Michael Boyle, who I yeah. highly, highly um, appreciate as, especially as leaders and uh, human beings. There's some big names in there, big names. Um, and then the next one, what would you say your biggest strength is as a practitioner? Um, I would like to think it's empathy, but um, I guess other people need to judge that. I like, I like this question because people get all modest and they don't want to big themselves up. But and a, lot <laughs> of people, a lot of people say empathy and I do. I do oh, really? Okay. Yeah, I, I think that is the case for a lot of people, but I always find it funny how people don't want to, they don't want to big themselves up. That's your chance. chance yeah, to, I know, no, I know. to big yourself up. But listen, there's so many, so many better practitioners out there. Like I've seen them first, firsthand, you know, um, that I wouldn't say that, you know, this is my biggest strength. So, but which is why I said, like, I think it must be something I would assume that it's rather something that is unrelated to lifting weights or something. Yeah. And I think that's the case for a lot of people, isn't it? I don't think it's necessarily like a technical, mm. I don't think anyone in fact that I've asked has, has named anything sort of technical on, teaching a deadlift or anything like that. Like, I think it's always come back to some sort of like human uh, yeah. soft skill. Maybe, maybe now, maybe it's curiosity. I'm not sure. That's a good skill. I see that as a very good skill. 
maybe that's maybe it's that. Yeah. I think that would be the case from speaking to you in the last sort of 50 minutes or so. I think that I think that's safe to say that you, you're curious. All right, let's let's agree on that then. <laughs> <laughs> and then the next one is um, what's the best bit of CPD you've done recently? So whether it's a webinar, a certain podcast you've listened to, a blog, a, uh, some research, like is there anything that sort of stands out for you? Um, yeah, like I would say, um, I would like to say it's, it's actually like the, the operations management class that I just took in my MBA, yeah. um, which taught me a lot about, you know, how to enhance processes and how to actually look at everything as a, as a process, um, which is a very like different way um, at, at, um, at looking at things than I used to in our realm or in our world, yeah. right? So I think that is something that I really, really took away a lot um, of, and I, I still am. I'm now trying to investigate every single bit of my daily work and all my interactions on, okay, where in the process of, you know, enhancing performance does this sit and who's involved and, and who are the stakeholders and what are actually the things that we produce and what are the outputs and so on. So it's, it's, it's super interesting for me. So that's what I would say. I think that's really interesting because, again, we've spoke to a lot of people that we talk about us not necessarily being decision makers, like overall in terms of jobs and salaries and things like that. So it's understanding that side is really important, isn't it? Yeah, ab absolutely. And, you know, it's, it's a huge blind spot on, on my end. And it's not only interesting for me, but I also think what we potentially as a, as a group underestimate or underestimated was um, the ability to talk to the decision makers in their language. And I'm not talking about the head coach, you know, I'm talking about the people who actually have the money. Yeah. Um, and I think this is also where we as a group can enhance and actually show the value. If we are able to talk to them in their language, I think we, we can make a case of this is why we should actually make more, you know, for example, um, because a lot of people, uh, you know, um, argue that they're underpaid. Yeah, maybe you should have more money, but maybe we're not doing a good job in justifying why we actually deserve more money um, because we're not able to, you know, me included, talk in their own words, the people with the big, big bucks. Yeah, that's a great point. That is a great point. Um, and then the final ones, Max. Uh, I, I know we've we've covered quite a bit of this already in terms of like traits for coaches, and I know it's hard to say as a as a sort of general bit of advice. But what would you say is like one of the most important traits that a coach or a practitioner should have in their toolbox? We'll go back to the toolbox. Very good question. Um... I would say the single most important trait um, is adaptability. Yeah. Summed up by 2020. <laughs> True, yeah. <laughs> As well. no, I, think that, I think that's a top one. I, I, I don't mean that you don't, you don't have to be adaptable normally, but I think it just has... No, you're right. That's highlighted things, hasn't it? Yeah, no, for sure. Um, and then just on... It, sorry, Matt. Sorry. 
No, no, I was just trying to say like, it's an ever-changing environment we're working in. Yeah. Um, so I think, and that it even goes like within a club because people around you change. Yeah. Right? Players change. Um, and then the industry as a whole changes now with the COVID situation, like you said, you know, it's like, and that also means that your private um, circumstances change. So it is, it is essentially what brought us as humans to the, to the top of the food chain, no? The adaptability. Yeah. We're not good at anything, but we can do a little bit of everything. Yeah, definitely. And then just the final one is the same sort of question, but for a player. So trying to think about some of the players that possibly in your, from your point of view as a practitioner, who've been, who bought in the most, you've, you've had some of the best results with, um, made some of the best progress with. What were some traits you think those players had? There's two that come to mind. Um, one is self-awareness. Yeah. Um, and the other one, and to a certain extent it goes hand in hand, is humility. I think these are the two, but if I would have to choose one. Whew. You could have two. I, thank you. <laughs> You're so kind. <laughs> It's a belated Christmas present, isn't it? Um, <laughs> I think they're two good ones, really good ones. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you uh, for letting me keep two. You can have two. Max, this has been super, mate. I've really enjoyed it. I could have gone on for another hour, to be honest, and talked through <laughs> a lot of the stuff um, that we were discussing. But And I hope everyone's taken a lot from it. I'm sure people will want to reach out. They'll want to pick your brain a little bit more. So, Where's the best place they can do that? Um, I have to say I should be better with social media. I'm not. So the only way I will get better with that is actually if people reach out and, and ask um, for content, whatever. So um, I think I have the same name on Twitter and Instagram. It's at Maxel Strength. So M-A-X-L and then Strength. Um, and you can find me there on both. And um, always, please. Yeah, reach out if there's anything, um, any questions. Like I said, I had the luck to to have many great mentors in my life. So I'm I'm. It is my obligation if somebody reaches out to also. Not to say that I have a lot to say, but if somebody's interested in anything, reach out. I'm more than happy to to answer and and help out. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much for your time today, mate. I really appreciate it. It's great to get you on. And uh, I think we've just discussed a lot of really valuable things for coaches there. So I really appreciate you giving up your time, but also the experiences that you've discussed as well. Thank you. I appreciate your time and your uh, curiosity as well. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Max. And best of luck for the rest of the season. Thank you, mate. Appreciate it. Cheers, mate. Bye-bye. Thank you, as always, for listening to the podcast. I really appreciate your support. And big thank you to Max as well for giving up his time. I really appreciate him coming on. Um, I think this was a really, really fascinating conversation, to be honest. I, I, I took loads away from it. The fact that Max studied to be an actor, I think is a really, um, really fascinating start to his career. And how that transcended into working in high-performance sport, I think, is a really interesting journey. But one as well that... Um, we talk about soft skills a hell of a lot and the, the whole development of skills around acting. Obviously, the, you see that translation there between that and coaching. Um, so that I think that was really interesting talking around that. 
when he talked about taking responsibility as well, I think this is something for me that I'm going to focus on this year. Um, we have to take responsibility for all of our actions. And we, I think a lot of the time we get drawn into the fact that we blame other people, we'll blame other processes. But if we take responsibility and think about what we can do to impact things, I think that will speed up the process. And we talked about problem solving in the episode as well. And I think that's a key part of problem solving as well. I thought it was really interesting when he said he wanted to work in a different sport to test his principles. That really is a case of sort of stepping outside the comfort zone and um, developing that skill set by just putting yourself into a situation that you're not used to. Um, a lot of people that work in, work in football, obviously we know football, we know about the cultures of football, but stepping out into another sport, even if it is short term, could really kick us on as practitioners. And then... The other thing, um, he spoke about the four areas of leadership, so leading yourself, leading others, leading change and leading an organisation. And also the fact that he's now doing his MBA on uh, looking into sort of organisational leadership. I think that's really interesting because we've talked about increasing the worth of sports science and S&C and understanding that side of things I think is really important. And then just finally, the, the complementary skill sets we talked about in terms of team dynamics so skill sets that um, might be quite different. So if you're getting practitioners in working together that have got different skill sets, obviously that gives um, a really nice balance to a team. But there's all, they have to complement each other and we have to have certain things in common for the team to work well together. And that's things like um, having the sort of trust of one another, controlling the egos, respecting one another, um, and a number of different skills uh, and um, habits as well. So I think there was loads in this one. I really did enjoy this conversation. I think it was quite a different one to some recent episodes that we've done. And I hope you enjoyed it. But please reach out. Max is really keen to get some discussions going about leadership and um, some of the things that you might put in place. So reach out to him. You can get him on Twitter. He's at Max, M-A-X, and then L Strength. Um, or you can hit us up on, on Twitter or Instagram at footballfitfed or drop us an email, mail at footballfitfed.com. But please, as always, share the show because it really does help grow the audience. And I'm looking to really kick the podcast on this year so we can keep attracting some of the top names we've had on the podcast so far. So a big thank you again for listening. Hope you enjoyed episode 120. And I'll speak to you again next week in episode 121.